Welcome to Former Adventist Podcast. I'm Colleen Tinker. And I'm Nikki Stevenson. Well, Nikki, we have had a couple of weeks off, if you want to call it that, looking at peripheral information that studying through Revelation has brought up for us, including some of the questions and comments from the people who are viewing the videos and listening to the podcast. So today we're coming back, but we're going to do the first of two more weeks, which is not directly addressing Revelation, but which is actually doing a retrospective back to Daniel. Today we're going to look at Daniel 2. Next week we're going to look at Daniel 7. Now, I know we've done the Daniel podcasts, (laughs) but the reason we're doing this is that the visions in Daniel, the vision to Nebuchadnezzar, and then the vision to Daniel of those horrible beasts, these things have a direct relationship on what's coming next in the book of Revelation. Nikki, as an Adventist, I'm sure you heard about all the beasts. Mm -hmm. What did they mean to you? What did you think they were about? Oh, you know, I certainly couldn't have given the Adventist answers for all of it. But when I thought of the Adventist beast, I thought of the Pope, I thought of Babylon. I thought of Rome. I thought of Catholicism. I thought of the mark of the beast, which was obviously Sunday keeping. That was sort of what was in my head when I thought of them, but it all pertained to us somehow. Yes. You know, it's interesting to me in listening to your answer. There was only one thing in there that you said that actually echoed a term from the Bible. You said Babylon. (laughs) Everything else was something to do with Catholicism and Sunday or Saturday worship. Well, and to be fair, I have to say that behind that biblical word was an unbiblical definition because it was everyone who keeps Sunday under the influence of the Pope. That is so interesting. And actually... If we had nothing else to say than that, we would have a really good picture of Adventist eschatology. (laughs) We grew up, I grew up anyway, believing and understanding that Daniel and Revelation were at the heart of Adventist worldview. And I never understood it. Actually, going through the book of Daniel has helped me a lot. Going through this first part of Revelation has already clarified so many things for me. But we're going to go back and look at Daniel and sort of bring it into Revelation because we're now approaching the part of Revelation where those beasts and those nations are going to be addressed in a different format. Now, if you want to think of it this way, truth is truth. It doesn't change and it is eternal. But throughout these books, we look at God's promises and what He's telling us about His plans, and we're looking at it as if through different windows. It's as if we're looking out of different windows of the same house at the same reality, just at different angles of it. And so, we're now seeing how what we learned in Daniel is meshing with what we're going to be seeing in Revelation. That's why we're doing this. But before we do, I want to remind you all that we would love it if you enjoy this podcast. We would love it if you would rate it and write a review if you can, wherever you listen, Um, because the rating and the liking and those kinds of responses that you can give to the podcast really do help to raise it up in searching so that more and more people find it when they're looking for information about Adventism. And also, please write to us at formeradventist at gmail.com if you have questions or comments. We love hearing from you. So now, we're going to go back and look specifically at Nebuchadnezzar's vision today. 
And we're not going to read the whole of Daniel 2, but we're going to read the part, Nikki, where Daniel comes in before Nebuchadnezzar, where God tells him the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and he's going to recount it. And we're going to jump off our little discussion from that passage of Daniel in Daniel 2, 31 to 35, where he tells Nebuchadnezzar what he dreamed. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of that statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Thank you. So what we need to remember here is that this is the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar's reign when he has these dreams. Now, Nebuchadnezzar had invaded Judah three times. This was after his first invasion. His first invasion began in 605 BC. His second one was 597, and the third one was 586. By the time he had completed all those invasions, Nebuchadnezzar had completely destroyed the temple, the city of Jerusalem, and there was nothing left of what had been the nation of Judah. Now, which of those dates is when he took Daniel? Because I know Daniel was very young. It was the 605 invasion. Daniel went in the first wave when Nebuchadnezzar came and took children of the noble families and took them as prisoners into his kingdom. He made eunuchs of them, apparently. Um, That's not stated, but they were put under the oversight of the prince of the eunuchs. And that was the typical way invading kings treated prisoners back then. Judah had ceased to exist. So now Nebuchadnezzar in his pagan power is in his palace and he has a dream at night and he can't remember the dream, or at least he claims he can't remember the dream. We kind of suspect he did, but he was testing his soothsayers because he didn't trust them. So Daniel appeals to God and God reveals the dream and Daniel tells him what is going to happen. The dream you read, Nikki, is what Daniel has seen from the Lord, and he tells Nebuchadnezzar, this is what you dreamed, but he did more than that. Prior to the passage where he describes the dream, in the verses prior to that, Daniel even says to the king, you were thinking about what is to come before you went to sleep that night. Now, that would be pretty compelling, don't you think? Yeah. And like you said, he was putting his other soothsayers to the test. He asked them, come, tell me what I dreamed and tell me the meaning. And they said, only the gods can do that. Only the gods can tell you what you dreamed. And he said, I know you're going to conspire together to come up with something. So unless you can tell me what I dreamed and the meaning of the dream, I'm going to put you to death. So there was a lot on the line here and they had shown themselves worthy of death at this point because they couldn't do it. But then Daniel, there's this man, Daniel, that they say, (laughs) maybe he can do it. He prays to the God of heaven and now he comes with additional information, not only passing the test, but giving even more. I love that. 
was very compelling. And Nebuchadnezzar believed Daniel and believed in the God of Daniel in a sense. Now, Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean that he became a true believer, but at least he believed Daniel's God should be included in the pantheon of gods (laughs) that he believed in. This is the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, the second year of the exile. And Judah, as these exiles go on, is going to cease to exist. The city of Jerusalem is coming under the domination of a foreign nation for the first time in history. And I think that's one of the things that was the most surprising to me when I started thinking about it this way. This is the first time since Israel was a nation when a foreign nation dominated Israel. And this is going to be the beginning of, like we said, the demise of Jerusalem and Israel and Judah. And in 20 years, all of Judah would cease to exist. And it's like Jesus had said in Luke 21, 24, Jesus said then that Jerusalem would be trodden underfoot by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And now in this year, of 605, when Jerusalem is invaded, a new era is about to be inaugurated in the history of Judah and the history of Israel. This is the beginning of what some theologians call the time of the Gentiles, when all Israel is under the control of Gentiles. In fact, our pastor Gary was recounting this in in one of his teachings through on this subject, and he said, The striking thing is that never again in all the history of Israel, which had not yet happened when Daniel had this vision, by the way, Jews have had no real control over the city of Jerusalem at any time ever again, except for a short period of time after the Maccabean revolt, which we remember as being celebrated by Hanukkah. But even today in the nation of Israel, it's controlled by the military It's not a free nation with a king of David on the throne of Judah. It's a completely different setup. It's it's never had its complete independence and free from all foreign power. It's under the control of the military even today. Um, So the second thing that's really striking about this is that Nebuchadnezzar is a pagan. He's not... God's man. (laughs) Well, he was in a sense because God had put him there and had him interact with Daniel, but he is a pagan and God gives him a dream that reveals the course of history, but he sends his own prophet to tell him what it means. So this is a different kind of dream. It's revealed in a supernatural way. And Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar three things in the course of explaining this dream. So the first thing Daniel tells him is that the source of the dream came from God. God gave Nebuchadnezzar this dream. Then he tells him that the interpretation is from God too. It's not from Daniel. And he lets him know that the dream is about the end of days. God has told King Nebuchadnezzar his plan for the Gentile kingdoms. And interestingly, in this same vision, although Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know it yet, but the picture there of that rock coming and smashing down this vision that Nebuchadnezzar saw, God himself is going to set up the kingdom. And that becomes an important point when we look at Revelation. Yes. It's very important to remember God brings the kingdom, establishes the kingdom, no human, not Israel, not God's men, not the pagans, but God himself establishes the kingdom. 
the dream itself was this very impressive colossus that was built like a giant man made out of four kinds of metal. There was the head. Talk a little about the head. What kind of metal was it? So the first part of the statue was a head made of gold. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that that represented the kingdom of Babylon. It represented him. Mm-hmm. The next part of the statue, the arms and the shoulders were made of silver, then of bronze. Then the legs were made of iron and the feet were mixed iron and clay. Now, the only nation that Nebuchadnezzar got any information about was his own. But we know both from Daniel 7 and from history that the silver represented Medo-Persia. And Persia would become the dominant nation between the two. We know that the bronze represented Greece and the iron represents Rome. The iron and clay is the last kingdom. And there's a mixture of the strength of Rome and the fragility of pottery mixed into those feet. And then the last thing that happened in this dream was... The stone, the stone made without hands crushed the feet and the entire statue fell simultaneously. Yeah. That's incredible. And it wasn't until after the statue fell that the stone grew. One of the things that has really helped me as I face those beasts in Revelation is looking back at the nature of these visions God gives Daniel. When he gave Nebuchadnezzar a vision, it was of a statue. Mm -hmm. It was something Nebuchadnezzar could look at and understand. He may not have known the symbolism behind it. It was an idol. And Nebuchadnezzar understood idols. He was the king of Babylon. Right. And so God taught him from that perspective using Daniel. But when he gave visions to Daniel about his people, about Israel, suddenly these same nations weren't represented by an idol or metals. They were represented by beasts. Daniel saw the nature of these nations in what they would do in human history. So now we, as God's people, can read his letter in Revelation, understanding that these visions given once again to God's people about the future depict the nature of these nations and these powers that are going to have a a heavy role in the summation of all things. That's true. And you know, another thing that was interesting to me that I hadn't really thought about before, but I heard this idea expressed in different ways from two different people, one from our Pastor Gary and one from S. Lewis Johnson. I had never completely understood the symbolism of that rock coming down Mm -hmm. and crushing the entire statue at the same time, because Nikki in history, Babylon is long gone. Medo-Persia is long gone, Greece is long gone, so is Rome, and the, the stone hasn't come yet. So how is it crushing the whole thing? I thought it was very helpful to think of it this way. The head determines the nature of the entire body. Even in the New Testament, Paul describes the church as being the body and Christ the head. The head determines the movements, the actions, the function protection. It determines what the body does. The head of this statue is Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar, if you will, but it's Babylon. And Babylon determines the nature of all of these Gentile kingdoms. And it's fascinating that Babylon is the oldest false religion named in the Bible. It goes clear back to the Tower of Babel 
where these people wanted to make a name for themselves and didn't want to obey God, and he had to confound their languages to spread them out and fill the earth. Babylon represents from the book of Genesis to the very end of Revelation, the epitome of false religion. And that is the character of this whole statue. Worshiping a false god, worshiping idols, disrespecting the God of creation, the God of salvation, the stone comes and destroys all Gentile pretenders and Jewish apostasy as well. So that was a helpful idea for me. And that also helps us understand the connection with the beasts that we're going to discover in Daniel 7. You know, the other thing related to that stone, I didn't understand what the stone was as an Adventist. I believed it was the Adventist church proclaiming the message and growing the kingdom. But that stone, and I pointed out earlier, that stone doesn't grow until after all of the kingdoms are subdued. And Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar that he said, Inasmuch as you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. So the dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. And this caused Nebuchadnezzar to fall on his face and give homage to Daniel Mm -hmm. and to proclaim that his God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. The point is Daniel makes very clear that this is all stuff that is going to happen at the end of time. And so it doesn't make sense that that rock would represent the church, which is existing within time and growing within time. I see that too. Daniel talked to Nebuchadnezzar about the meaning which God had given him for this big vision of the Colossus that he had. And there are four things that stand out to us about this. And this is important when we think about the progression of the plagues, the suffering, and then finally, the beasts that we're going to meet in Revelation. First of all, this rock that's going to destroy the nations is a supernatural kingdom. It's cut out without human hands. The source of this rock is not human, is not of creation. It is beyond creation. It is supernatural. The second thing is that this rock comes suddenly. It's powerful. It's catastrophic. It takes out all those nations. It takes out all false religion. It brings everything down at once. All human might goes down with the rock. The third thing is that this kingdom that comes is universal because we learned in verse 35 of Daniel 2 that the stone will become a huge mountain that fills the whole earth after, as you pointed out, the statue is knocked down. And finally, we understand based on the rest of the interpretation that Daniel gives Nebuchadnezzar that this stone represents something messianic. Virtually everybody who reads Daniel today agrees that this kingdom represented by the stone is a messianic kingdom. So, as you were saying, Nikki, this can't represent the church because the church's involvement on earth is here while the nations are still here. And number two, the church's growth, if it is to be seen as growth, and there is growth in it, is a gradual growth. It's not sudden and catastrophic. Some people have suggested that the rock's coming is the first coming of Christ while Rome is still in power, but 
There's nothing done to the Roman Empire at the birth of Jesus. Rome only became more powerful after Jesus was born and crucified and existed for hundreds more years. So it can't represent the birth of Jesus. This has to represent something other than the birth of Jesus, as well as something other than the development of the church. This seems to represent only the coming of the Messiah in power and glory to set up his kingdom. So next week, when we look at Daniel 7, we're going to find that what God has revealed to Nebuchadnezzar through Daniel is going to be explained with even more detail. And it will all agree. When we meet the beasts that we know from our Adventist Revelation series, but we never really understood how significant and magnificent it is that God is revealing this, or how significant it is in terms of understanding that the Messiah is ending all things and is setting up a kingdom on earth. When we look at that next week, we're going to see that what Daniel has told Nebuchadnezzar meshes perfectly with what he's going to reveal to Daniel and the people of Israel. In verses 13 and 14 of Daniel 7, next week, we will see one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds, and we'll see him being given a throne and a kingdom and that it will be turned over to the saints. So we say, what does this have to do with the world today? Well, we're going to see a pattern here that these beasts represent nations. And that is going to be true also when we look ahead in the book of Revelation. And these beasts are going to be similar to these nations, which brings me back to what you said earlier, that that head of gold determines the nature of all these other kingdoms. And so the nature of pagan kingdoms is going to be on display even in the last days in the nations and the powers that are going to come up and oppose God. Absolutely. And I think it's also really cool. I just want to bring up again that Daniel too is written in Aramaic. When we jump ahead to Daniel 7 next week, when God is talking to Daniel about what's going to happen to his people, the language is written in Hebrew. The audience is different. Mm -hmm. We see from these representations of great nations that at the end of everything, the stone is going to hit the statue at the feet. And it's interesting and significant that there are 10 toes in these feet that are an unstable combination of pottery and iron. This is going to have some echoing or foreshadowing effects when we come to Revelation 13 and see the beast that comes out of the sea and see that it has 10 horns and these are 10 kings. There are 10 kings or kingdoms that are not yet identified to us, but they're in these feet. They're going to be in those horns in the beast. There's a consistency between these two books in the sense that a power is coming that is not yet identified that is going to include 10 kings and then a supreme evil power that's going to usurp some of those kings and manage the earth for a while. We can summarize God's vision to Nebuchadnezzar by saying Daniel 2 explains that God sovereignly organizes history. The fact that in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, God gave him a vision of the entire sweep of history up until the coming of the Messiah. He is in charge and he knew and knew in advance which nations and which leaders would sweep over the world, defeat existing powers, and become even bigger and dominate even more of the world. This is under God's sovereign control. And when we come to Revelation, we can see the same is true there. 
And we can't, from our perspective, sit here and say, oh, what's happening in the news today is a fulfillment of this verse of Revelation. No, prophecy is much bigger and more sweeping than that. We can see that we are in a time that's unlike others, but we can't say for sure exactly when it will end or what the circumstances will be. But we can know enough detail that when it happens, we will know that. And I believe that's one of the reasons God has given us these prophecies. So we aren't sitting in the dark saying, will this end? How will it end? We know that it will end, and it will end by the power of God, not by the power of evil. Evil will run amok, like that statue that's managing the earth, all those pagan nations. But it's God who will destroy them when the time comes, and we can rest in that. And we can know with certainty that just as the events Daniel was told about have happened, most of them, these future events will happen, and they'll happen according to God's decree and predetermined plan, and we can know that we're safe in Him. And at the end of Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar the pagan falls prostrate and honors the God of Daniel, the God of the people whose nation he destroyed. He acknowledged him. He was the most powerful leader in the world on his face before God. It looks like Nebuchadnezzar is a leader, but it's God who's the leader of Nebuchadnezzar. And we can know that. And this is a reminder that if we haven't trusted the God who has revealed himself, who has revealed his glory in his son, taking our sins to the cross, breaking the curse of sin by dying, by being buried, and by rising again on the third day. We can be safe. We can face the future without fear, even though we know tribulations are determined. But rescue is certain, and God knows us, knows us from eternity. He's in charge of all that happens, and He knows when He's coming back to put an end to this, and we can rest in Him. If you haven't trusted Him, trust Him today, and you too can rest as we face uncertainty in the world. And join us next week as we look at Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7. We'll see you then. Thank you for listening to Former Adventist Podcast. You may email us at formeradventist at gmail.com. Former Adventist Podcast is a ministry of Life Assurance Ministries. For more information, weekly articles, videos, and a donation link, go to our website at proclamationmagazine.com. Music